info track. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Health experts are warning that our modern world is causing a decline in male reproductive development. With more, here's InfoTrack's Gina Tedesco. Gina? Thanks, Chris. Are humans around the world heading for a day when they're no longer able to reproduce? Studies show that fertility is dropping dramatically. Let's get more now from our guest, Dr. Shauna Swan, reproductive epidemiologist and professor of environmental medicine and public health at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York. Her recent book is Countdown, How Our Modern World is Threatening Sperm Counts, Altering Male and Female Reproductive Development, and Imperiling the Future of the Human Race. Dr. Swan, you say there's nothing wrong with the human body, so what is going wrong? Gina, the problem is that by any measure of reproductive function, we're doing increasingly badly. So that includes a declining sperm count, declining testosterone, increasing erectile dysfunction, increasing miscarriage, and so on and so forth. But the summary is that fertility, which is the number of children that a couple or a woman has, has been dropping 50%, and that's 1% per year, over the past 50 years, and at the same time, sperm count has decreased more than 50%. All of these things are giving us problems, if you will, and predicting future problems at about the same rate, 1% per year. And if we were to put that in perspective, how much lower are sperm counts in today's men compared to the men of years past? Well, in the data on Western men, which is where we have almost all of our data, at the beginning of our study period, which was 1973, a typical man had a sperm concentration of 99 million sperm per milliliter, so close to 100. And in the end of our study period, which is 2011, that had dropped to 47 million per milliliter. So that's a drop of about 50%, and that's pretty alarming. And in some parts of the world, how fertile are today's young women compared to previous generations? Ah, uh, well, young women in some countries, particularly Western countries, have fertility which is comparable to what their grandmothers had when they were 45. So that says to us that this is not just a problem of people delaying childbearing. There was an increase in miscarriages as well. Can you talk about that or quantify that? Actually, I know the rate, but I don't have the numbers in front of me of the rate of miscarriage. And that's complicated because miscarriages span a big range of outcomes. They can be undetected. They can disguise themselves as a missed period. They can be repeated miscarriages. But by any measure, they have been increasing also at the rate of about 1% per year. So do experts have any estimates of when humans might actually lose the ability to reproduce? I don't think they ask that question, and I think that's quite difficult because there's so many factors, and these factors are also changing. What I can tell you is if you extended the line that we drew in our study in 2017 showing the decline in sperm counts and concentration, that line hits zero in 2045. Now, that sounds really alarming, but that's a median. That means half the men. And it also would say that the count was decreasing continually, which is not the way human or biological trends act. They don't act in straight lines. They're S-shaped. So we expect this to level off. We hope it will level off. But so far, we don't have any sign of it leveling off. 
We're visiting with Dr. Shauna Swan, reproductive epidemiologist at Mount Sinai in New York, on her recent book about declining fertility. Even people who don't choose to have kids should take notice of this. You say infertility is linked to an increased risk of certain diseases and earlier death in men and women. Can you give us some examples? Yes. In several studies in California and in Denmark, where they followed men with poor sperm counts, poor sperm concentration, and also men who had come in for infertility workups, they found that those men had higher rates of heart disease, obesity, diabetes, and some cancers, particularly reproductive cancers. And perhaps most surprisingly, they also had a shorter life expectancy. Doctor, what classes or categories of chemicals which you have looked at in this connection do you feel may be behind the decrease in fertility? Gina, I've studied one class in particular in depth, and those are the phthalates. Those are the chemicals. Those are plasticizers. They make plastic soft and flexible. They do other things that we rely on. They actually increase absorption, for example, of skincare products. They hold scent and color. So think makeup. And they are also in fragrance products. So there's a lot of these in our daily lives and very hard to get rid of. And we showed that these are related to the development of human reproduction, most particularly when exposure is early in pregnancy, which is the most sensitive period. We've also looked at bisphenol A, which makes plastic hard as opposed to phthalates making plastic soft. And the bisphenols are also reproductive hazards, as are many pesticides. And we showed, for example, in one area of the country, central Missouri, that the pesticides in a man's urine were directly related to his semen quality. There's also risks from other classes of chemicals, for example, flame retardants and you know Teflon coatings, the PFAS. So there are many, many chemicals, there are hundreds of them actually, that are in our daily lives and have the ability to impact our reproductive health because, and here's the critical thing, they have the ability to influence our hormones. And once you alter people's hormones, you're definitely influencing their reproductive health. So the chances of exposure could occur not only at home, but also on the job as well. Is that right? Absolutely. And actually, the workplace exposures tend to be much higher. And some of the best studies, the most information we have come from those occupational studies. But most studies that have been done and published are on people who are exposed environmentally. And that's where the majority of people are exposed. You've noted a decrease in the number of children born over time. And in some countries, this causes an imbalance with large numbers of older people and fewer young people. What kind of societal problems does this cause? This is a big problem that demographers and others are looking at now, including economists. If you think about the support of systems like Medicare and Social Security, which requires a large base, if you will, of young people taking care of the older people, we're losing that. The pyramid, as I call it, the population pyramid is being inverted. Instead of being a natural pyramid with a wide base, we're getting a very thin base and a very wide top. And this is very unstable and unsustainable. You've indicated that your data should be something of a call to action to create committees and other bodies. What would you like them to do? 
Oh, that's a really big question, isn't it? First of all, I would like the book to increase awareness of the problem and have people recognize this problem as really a serious problem to humanity and to the planet. So recognition, education. And then I would like to see the chemicals that have the ability to alter our hormones be removed from commerce. That's a huge task. And to do that, we have to replace them with the chemicals because we need these products. We use these products. We depend on them. So they have to be made of safer chemicals. I believe this is possible, but we, it was going to take a big overhaul. And to make sure that happens, we need the regulations in place to guarantee that we detect low dose effects, that we don't have chemicals that stick around in our environment and that don't affect our hormone systems. And if I'm an ordinary person listening to this interview and I want to rid my body of these chemicals, is there a way to do that? Maybe a cleanse of some sort? Or do I have to be more careful with what I buy? (laughs) Yes, I think we do have to be aware of what we buy and the chemicals in the products we buy. And I think if I wanted to say just a few things that people could do, they could try to not eat processed foods to the extent possible. They should try to eat organic foods. To the, and I know there's an economic issue here. They should cook in glass and ceramics and avoid cooking in Teflon line pans and in heating in plastic altogether. And they should be careful about what they put on their bodies by reading the labels carefully. So those are just a few things they could do. And of course, we have many more tips in Countdown that I hope people will look at. Dr. Shauna Swan, reproductive epidemiologist at Mount Sinai in New York. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Gina. For InfoTrack, I'm Gina Tedesco. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. A production of Syndication Networks.